I suppose I'm extremely fortunate I don't get stressed. Um, and my favourite phrase is the world's greatest opportunity comes in the disguise of an unsolvable problem. I'm, I'm very aware that we're only here for a short time. You know, so if, if you think about it logically, like over millions of years, you're here for less than 100 years. So it's a very short time and the world will go on tomorrow, whether you're here or not. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. To make it in business can take nerves of steel. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Gainwright, and today I'll be speaking with Sean Brett, whose steel tech sheds are beating the competition all over Europe. He left school at 14, abandoning a system that failed him. If your teachers are telling you you're stupid every day, you're, you, you start to believe them eventually. And for some reason, you know, I, I was able to rise above that. Sean's entry into the business world was born out of necessity rather than desire. Yeah. My focus was just making money. That was it, like, you know, I mean, years later before I started to say, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Like. Steeltech was one of many businesses that Sean set up, but quickly he could tell that this one had legs. You know, the very first day I remember when we came up with the name Steel Tech Sheds and we were putting a sign up in the garden and the sign wasn't even up. I was holding the sledge and a car drove in and he was our first, our first customer and he bought a shed and he was really happy with the product and that gave us a great inspiration to continue. Its growth has been steady and Sean likes it that way. Not every move, though, has worked out in the way he'd hoped. We didn't get the footfall and we wasted a lot of money advertising. And um, when we now look back, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. When we look back, we can see quite clearly where we made the mistakes. Today, we'll hear Sean's thoughts on finding a place in the market, fast cars and fostering talent in the next generation. Sean, thank you so much for uh, coming and talking to us today. Um, it's an incredible empire you've built and it seems, from what I understand, that it's uh, almost something you fell into, a bit of an accident almost. Well, entrepreneurship in general, I, I fell into it because basically uh, back in the 80s when I moved to Galway, I was unemployed for about a year and I couldn't actually get a job. Unemployment was quite high then. So I accidentally started my first business in Galway. And that's it seems to be a bit like that ever since. First of many, though. Uh, yeah, at the time. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what pies were you sticking fingers in back then? Well, um, it was my first year in Galway and it was, it's a great city to, to party apart from anything else. I probably did more than my fair share of partying. <laughs> and uh, one day I, I was going out with this particular girl and uh, she said to me that evening, I got your job. And I said, right. So she said, I got your job painting a house. So she knew somebody needed a house painting. She said, I told them you're a painter. And I was fine, but I don't know anything about painting. So I suppose my first business was started with a budget of about 50 euros, because all you need to be a painter is a pair of white overalls, some business cards, a paintbrush, a roller, and away you go. So I painted the house and I worked out. I was quite handy at it. And in no time at all, I had a few lads working for me. So that was the first business up and running. And what was it that kind of uh, gave you the encouragement to go from just being you, the painter, or even the accidental painter, to having the group of lads working for you? I mean, how did you start to build it from that point? Um, well, money is always be a motivator. So obviously, the more work you can do. But I, I probably have a very good work ethic, which is, is common in the entrepreneurship world. 
Um, so, I mean, I wasn't afraid to work seven days a week. And, and I had if I got a job, I never turned it down, no matter what it was. So the work just came, and I probably had a flair for sales and marketing. So that's, I think, where my talents really lie. And um, I was I was able to go out and get the work when other qualified painters, ironically, couldn't get work. So I just had a, I, I, I was handy at that kind of How thing. How did you set yourself apart from the competition? Um, I'll always remember uh, after painting that first house, the lady said to me, are you busy? And I said, I know it's quiet, you know. She <laughs> said, um, would you advertise? And I said, yeah, I'll try that. So I put an ad in the local advertiser in the classified section and the ad said painter available. So three weeks later, I had no phone call and I near enough given up. And I looked at the paper and there's about 50 other guys, painters available. So I said, you know what, I'll try it one more time. But this time I'll be a little bit different. So I put another ad in and this time it said rooms painted from £15, paint included. No charge if unsatisfied. So by doing that, even though I didn't really think about it that much at the time, but by doing that, I was guaranteeing the work. Don't pay me if you're not happy. And I was working really cheap. Of course, the magic word I used there was from 15 pounds. I never ah. painted a room. <laughs> so the phone started ringing. And once the phone starts ringing, it's then up to yourself to go and meet the potential client and close the deal. So. Yeah. It sounds simple, but it works. Well, there's a lot of people who go to school for a long time to, to learn how to do that. And you just kind of got there by looking at one mistake you made yeah. and correcting it. Well, unfortunately, they don't teach entrepreneurship in, in school. So I don't think that is something you can learn in school. Um, it's And I won't say it's something you're born with, but you kind of grow up with it. And I left school quite early, so I was quite creative. And a little bit of creativity is, is, a, is a good thing in business. Join the dots for me, though, between uh, painting houses to building sheds, because I'm not sure I quite see the link. Oh, you know, there's a, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, so, yeah, the painting business went quite well for a number of years. And my next business was, was selling coal. And uh, again, something, one of the odd things about any business is I knew absolutely nothing about them before I started. So one day I thought, how hard can that be? Um, I seen lads going door to door selling coal. So I went to the local wholesaler and I said, how much, how much is a ton of coal? So I quickly realized you could profit margin of around four euros on a bag of coal. So I thought that can't be hard. And were, sorry, were things not busy with the painting? In the, in the winter time, the painting got quieter and I was starting to get tired of it anyways because painting, I just got a bit bored with that. So I was looking for something else. Um, sometimes I can wander off in too many different directions, but I'm trying to control that. Yeah. Uh, I'm but, trying to spot the pattern here now. So, yeah. okay, so I get the coal. You saw people selling coal while you were painting houses and you said, well, I'll get no, into we were quieter in the wintertime because yeah. you couldn't do outside work. And then know, when so. you sold them coal, they needed somewhere to store it. Is that how we get to the sheds? Uh, yeah, we're definitely <laughs> getting there. <laughs> yeah, so the next, uh, then I sold the painting and decorating business and concentrated on the coal business, which was built up into quite a substantial business. And that's that's where we, we see the gap in the market for the shed business because delivering coal into people's houses, you'd see timber sheds. People might be going to have to get in a new timber shed. Within a week or two, the door wouldn't close. Within a year, the roof was leaking. So we thought there's got to be a better way. And um, round about the same time, a lot of people were getting new oil tanks. They had the old square steel oil tank and they were starting to leak. So they were replacing them with plastic tanks. So we'd be delivering coal. At the end of the evening, we'd see these, we'd have an empty truck, ideally, and you'd see these oil tanks. So you'd suggest to the customer that, um, do you want that taken away? And they'd be delighted to get it taken away. So we'd charge a small fee for that. And we ended up with a whole lot of these steel oil tanks. 
So following summer, we said, what are we going to do with all these steel oil tanks? So I came up with a great idea. We'll just turn them into coal bunkers. Were you recycling? Oh, no, yeah. coal bunkers. Yeah, turn the, the steel oil tank. They were yeah. square shaped. They were perfect for a coal bunker. So you just chopped them up, re-welded them, put a door on the top and a hatch on the bottom, and there was your coal bunker. So um, oh, that was, that was the beginning of steel tech. That was the beginning of, of the steel business. And I was fortunate I had guys working with me who, who were really talented in that area. So w- that, that went well. And then we thought, you know, at the same time, we're looking at these timber sheds and just joining the dots. We says, why don't we make a steel shed? So that's where it started. And the rest is And we never look back. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, take me back to a little bit earlier because, you know, most people don't roam around spotting business ideas and executing them in the way that, yeah. that you managed to. Um, you know, was there any bit of entrepreneurialism in your in your family when you were growing up? Um, well, I come from a farming background and I think every farmer in his own way is an entrepreneur and just to survive has to be fairly smart and work hard. You know, they're always throwing problems. Even this year we see the drought is causing them significant problems so brought up on a farm every day of the week there's problems there's issues and there's opportunities so you're you're seeing it around the dinner table as I say it's not taught in our schools so where else are you going to learn it except at home and um, I was probably fortunate my parents encouraged encouraged us so from I think we're age about seven my brother was about eight and at that stage we had a pig farm so they they gave us a, a loan and we bought our first piglet we were then given a loan to provide the feeding for this piglet. And when it was sold, we paid back our loan and this kept the profit. This is the bank of mum and dad, is it? Yeah. So that's that's our entrepreneurial education starting at a very early age. And that is, and, and that's a very deliberate education, it would and, seem. And, and, and it really worked. You know, it was a very simple process. There's your piglet. You feed it. You sell it to the factory. You make a profit. You don't keep the profit. And now you buy two piglets. So by age 13, I had quite a lot of piglets. And business was good. Only thing was I hated pigs. <laughs> so, so <laughs> what did they ever do to you? <laughs> I, I just didn't like farming. So I sold my pigs and started my second business at age thirteen, which was apple trees, because I always I always liked horticulture. So I bought eighteen apple trees. Um, unfortunately, they didn't produce any apples. So the, right. second, the second business that was the first lesson. The second business didn't work out too well. But and entrepreneurship thir- was taught at home. That's where we learned it. Yeah, because I, I, I know it's something you talk a lot about. You don't believe it's taught adequately in in schools. No, no, not at all. No, um, I think there's a, there's a gap. You know, the the education system. It's something I feel quite strongly about. Um, something like coding. There's a massive, massive scarcity across the world for pe- people with computer science, and coding is not even taught in secondary schools. Um, or, or, you know, um, finance in general is something that everybody needs in their lives, no matter what line of work they're in. And there's very little education on how to handle your finance. And of course, entrepreneurship is unheard of in, in our education system. Because you touch on something there, which is I think is is, is quite telling. You know, in, in in a bygone era, a bygone era when the average person was a bit more of a, of a hustler, shall we say, yeah. in terms of just scraping a living. You got into business almost by accident. And in the modern age where lots of us are going out looking for safe jobs, um, yeah. you know, you almost put entrepreneurship on this kind of special pedestal as if there's some kind of secret sauce to it, when really it's just about buying and selling things at, and, and hopefully there, at a profit. There's a couple of essential ingredients. I mean, creativity is very important. So having an open mind and, and thinking differently and, and not being afraid to have an opinion, not not going with the, with the crowd is, is very important and a good work ethic. If you're not prepared to work hard and put the hours in, and have some kind of vision that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, they're essential ingredients in the entrepreneurial world. But the safe job, um, 
I think the safe job is a terrible idea. It's dying out as well. <laughs> well isn't I, it? and, and I say to my own kids, um, you know, and and I sometimes I give talks in schools and and things like that, and sometimes I think the teachers might want me back <laughs> because you know if you're 16 or 17 and and everybody's asking what do you want to be or what do you want to do you know I mean I say to them look at least 50% of you will be working on something that hasn't been invented yet so the idea of having a carefully planned out life is terrible you know one should do what they enjoy doing and a couple of changes in the career path along the way is a good idea in in my opinion yeah what was your own uh, time at school like Uh, school wasn't wasn't great I mean I, I try and take the positive out of everything I I um I was dyslexic in school, so and dyslexia back then probably wasn't that people weren't aware of it. So basically I had no idea what was going on in school and um would have got a lot of grief from teachers every single day. They basically told me I was the most stupid person in the class and I'd never mount anything. So for a young lad that's not a nice thing to hear. No. Um so I left school at fourteen, couldn't wait to get away from it, and uh, started my first job. Um so fortunately the education system has improved a lot since. But um, it, it, education, uh, the, the great thing, as I say, I always take the positive if I can out everything. And, you know, when a child is born, it's 100% creative. But by age 20, 90% of the creativity is educated out of a person. And I don't want to sound like I'm against education. I'm a huge fan of education. But creativity in itself is so important. And in my case, my creativity was intact. So did you that feel, was a big advantage. Did you feel or reminded, how did you feel? Um, at school at a time when there wasn't the same uh, even awareness of of conditions like dyslexia I mean can you remember uh, how it felt Uh, look it's it's going back a while Um, you know if if your teachers are telling you you're stupid every day you you start to believe them eventually and for some reason you know I, I was able to rise above that um, and I'm very conscious of, of children nowadays, you know, they might be in the back of the class and they might know what's going on, but they could, in fact, be the smartest guy in the room, given an opportunity, because absolutely everybody has a talent in some area. And that's what I say about coding as an example. It's so unfortunate. There's, there's people out there who are gifted and they'll never know because they didn't get the chance. Well, the, in the meantime, something like Irish, which I have a real problem, what is compulsory? I have nothing, nothing wrong with the Irish language, but does it really have to be compulsory? But you seem to think that schools actually stifle creativity. Uh, unfortunately, they do. Yeah. Um, they, they, they do. Um, and I, I probably won't have too many fans as teachers, but... and. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's the nature of the beast... Um, but the opportunities that teachers have um, is brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll always remember I was sitting on a plane coming from the States and I was chatting to this lady all the way back to Ireland and she was a retired doctor. And as you do on a plane, you talk about everything. So she said she was from a small village in County Clare and all her brothers had done extremely well. And I said, you were brought up in the 50s in a small village in County Clare. You must have been well off when you got a good education. And she said, no, we weren't. And I says, how did you all do so well? We had a brilliant teacher. So that teacher changed the lives of so many people because he genuinely cared. So the opportunities that teachers have, it's the one profession where mm. they can really make a difference. A powerful position to be it, in. It is, yeah. yeah. So you left at school at what, 14, 14 did you say? yeah, yeah. And why did you leave then? Well, what my did parents you do? didn't want me to leave school and I, of course, did. So I just went to, I wanted, I love cars. So I thought I'd get a job in a garage. So I went to every single garage looking for a job as an apprentice mechanic. One day I got a job. So I came home to my parents. I told them I got a job and they thought, well, 
maybe he'll make a mechanic you know we let him have so uh didn't work out too well but um i got out of school so and that was the main thing as it were but i suppose it put you onto the 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 path you're on now the entrepreneurial path well into a work environment you know and um i was happy working and making money of course yeah yeah. So the mechanic thing didn't work out too well. I took it for about two years. But um, well, how long until you started? <laughs> I suppose you know reviving those uh, piglet buying and selling skills yeah, well, that your parents had taught you so diligently. The, the next thing I probably uh, I mean that's fourteen. So by age sixteen, I I, I started. Um, uh, you'll see people on the markets now selling shrubs and trees and plants. Like I'd say I was probably one of the first people to start doing that. So I basically went to street uh, markets and started selling shrubs, trees, all that kind of thing. And I'd be sold out by four or five o'clock in the day. That actually went quite well. So that was, did that for a while. And I was always wheeling and dealing with cars and all kinds of things. So, hmm. But it wasn't always entrepreneurialism. You were taking jobs in the meantime. I'm, so it, it, yeah. it doesn't sound like you were kind of, uh, maybe the, convinced the word, on yeah. that you could strike out by yourself. I probably didn't even know what the word entrepreneurial meant back then. You know, yeah. my focus was just making money, and and that was it. Like you know, I mean, years later before I started to say, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Like so. It evolved. Um, that's what I'd say. Yeah. These days, I suppose people who go into business, a lot of them, not all of them, but they feel like they have to have you know several letters after their name and MBA this and BCom that. Um, you know, you've gotten to where you've gotten to through the university of of your life. Um, do you think is it too much of a focus on uh, academic education? It's it's, it's it's depends on the individual. You know, academic education is for certain people and. In, in Ireland right now, and, and Britain the same, there is this focus on sending all children to third-level schools, whereas the rest of Europe don't have that focus, and it's ridiculous. Why would you be sending kids to school that have no particular academic uh, hunger? They, they want to be, you know, they're good with their hands, they're good with a trade, they can be carpenters, electricians, plumbers, welders. There's a massive gap in the market, and those are good jobs, they're great jobs, and the people are doing what they're good at. And there's great opportunity as well for starting a business if you have any of them trades. So there should be more focus on trades and not trying to push the kids into a third level. They don't even want to go there. And there's a little bit of snobbery around that where people think, oh, well, my Johnny, he's, he's got so many points and he's doing this and he's doing that. And if they really, if they actually talk to their kids and they're going to third level school, 60% of them are on the phone looking at Facebook while the lecturer is there like the, you know I mean I'd never last as a professor because I'd be saying get off the phone while you're here you know there's and it's party you know and that's what they do for a couple of years and the parents are paying for this when they probably the real talent is a trade so it's not for everybody so how do you spot entrepreneurial skills in a in a, in a, in a youngster even in a, in a grown-up i mean if you're trying to 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 screen potential candidates for the next big business thing what are the traits you, you think an entrepreneur really has to have well it's it's you know there's a debate there are we born entrepreneurs or can you become an entrepreneur and i believe you can become an entrepreneur so um there's essential ingredients as I said earlier the work ethic you got to be prepared to work you know you, this idea of finishing at five in the evening or six you know or not working Saturday or Sunday that does not exist in the entrepreneurial world so you got to have the work ethic um, 
and have a passion for something. I mean, if you're doing something you enjoy, you don't see it as work. And, and then there's a financial aspect. If you want to make money, and trust me, a lot of entrepreneurs lose money. And I think, um, I think it might have been Steve Jobs said, we all make mistakes. So make as many mistakes as you possibly can in your early 20s and get them out of the way. So an entrepreneur cannot be afraid of making mistakes. It's, it's so important to make mistakes because that's, that's where we really learn. And what about, uh, I suppose, nerves and the, the, the stamina it takes to, to take a mistake and actually well, overcome it and learn from it and build something yeah, else? That's, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be worried what people are saying. I think it was Oscar Wilde once said, the only thing worse than people talking about you is people not talking about you. Mm. So if you make a mistake and you lose everything and you fail miserably and everyone's talking about you, don't pay the slightest bit of attention because the knowledge you have learned along the way and you will bounce back with determination. You will always come back. And you will get there eventually. Some of the greatest successes, I guarantee you, have had huge losses as well. There's nobody gets there without making lots of mistakes. Yeah. If we're full of inspirational quotes today. Steve Jobs, <laughs> Oscar Wilde. Yeah, Give us yeah. a, new, a Sean Brett original, will you? Um, when did you realize you were on to, to something really big with Steeltech? What was that kind of moment? Um I suppose Steeltech, it, it grew slowly um, and a solid business. And, you know, the very first day I remember when we came up with the name Steeltech Sheds and we were putting a sign up in the garden and the sign wasn't even up. I was holding the sledge and a car drove in and he was our first, our first customer and he bought a shed and he was really happy with the product. And that gave us a great inspiration to continue. Um, and because it was something new, it was unique, there was nobody else doing this, so back then we didn't have much competition so it, it wasn't a hard sell and the business continued to grow so I still see it as a, as a company that's in its infancy really there's, there's a lot of potential out there. and how long has it been on, on, on the scene of the state 24 years 24 now. years yeah. So it's just in its, it's in its twenties, quite literally. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's, <laughs> the there's, best years are yet to come. Yeah, um, there's there's so much opportunities out there and so much potential. Listen, for those who don't know an awful lot about the the kind of the market in which you operate, um, I mean, certainly for me, when I was reading up on 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 what you do, you know, steel sheds, I wouldn't have necessarily thought it was that revolutionary, but it seems like it it has been and it was at the time. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the the big thing with it is it's maintenance free. Um, it has a ten year guarantee, so there's there's lots of advantages unlike the traditional timber shed that that you got to paint every year. But it's it's evolved. It's it started with just a simple steel shed, steel garages. Now we're doing a lot more of the home offices and the architecturally designed offices, garden chalets, one and two bed chalets, uh, greenhouses. So a lot of a lot of other products and new products all the time. So so it's it's kind of uh, out. How how do you classify it? Outbuilding. Garden buildings, or well, garden rooms, I suppose. You yeah, know, sheds and garden rooms. Yeah, so, and you know, we're even starting to, and we're trying to stay away from the housing. But we we did one recently down in Cork. It was a three bedroom house, and the the shell goes up in one day, and then carpenters, electricians come back, and the whole thing is finished in a week. So the potential there for growth is, is massive. You talk about, you touch on housing there and obviously it's a real, an enormous issue um, in Ireland right now. Um, and I mean, is there a solution in, 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 in what you do, in, even on a temporary basis that, you know, maybe planners should facilitate people who want to have a, a studio flat down the bottom of their garden in one of in a building made by somebody like you? I'll, I'll avoid talking about planners because I might only get upset. <laughs> but uh, California has a similar housing problem to Ireland. And they've recently changed the laws over there where you can now put a one or two bed chalet into your garden without planning permission. So 
it's it's it makes sense within reason um here you will not get planning permission for a one or two bed chalet nine times out of ten because planners don't want to know um i i, I can't talk about planners but um <laughs> it sounds like you've been burnt <laughs> yeah i'm not going there um so California, as I say, I've changed the law and, and I have a friend over there who contacted me recently because he was putting a chalet in his garden and it's going to cost him between two and three hundred thousand dollars. So he's just saying, Sean, there's a massive opportunity because, you know, we have a one bed chalet starting at 15,000 euros. So if I'm not here next year, you know where I'll be. I know where you'll be. You'll be living it up in California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the law is not going to change because government... You know, the nature of politicians, they just need to get, they, they have to reapply for the job every four years. So they won't do anything too controversial. They don't want to upset anyone. They're afraid to do anything. Um, it's unfortunate. And then people in, in, in those jobs, they, there's no creativity there. The housing crisis could be solved. It could easily be solved. I'm sure there's many people would say, you know, fair enough. It's probably not the the greatest idea to put start putting buildings in gardens but you know we're, we're living in a, in a kind of an emergency right now when you see we are of, within reason you know within but, reason um you don't have to turn every decision down uh, does it take nine months to get a decision just you know i mean like you can put an extension on your house without planning permission but you cannot put a chalet in your garden it doesn't make a lot of sense and as i say, they've done it in california and it's working so they have identified the problem and they've come up with a solution. It's one solution. There's a lot of different solutions out there. Loads of people with loads of ideas, but getting people to change politicians, not easy. Okay. Really interesting stuff so far, Sean. Thank you very much for, for talking to us. But do stay with us because still to come on the Architects of Business, lots more to talk about with Sean, including his ambitions for the future and how he likes to spend his wealth. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the program and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at joe.ie. Sean, uh, forgive me. I'm, I'm not sure if you think this might sound a bit blunt, but would you say you kind of were making steel tech sheds up as you went along, or was well, there? Look, you, you, you could say we're making it up as you go along, but innovation is crucial in any business, and without innovation, a business will go backwards. Standing still is going backwards. So, but has there been ever a time or where you kind of? stopped and said right okay I'm going to start conforming to some kind of business norms here I'm going to write a business plan and, and yeah. do all the kind of things that modern businesses do to, well, kind of, to attract finance we, we, we talked a lot about education and, and leaving school at 14 I'm now back in, in college so uh, tomorrow and the next day we're in, in the University of Dublin in the, in the business college so I've come back to college all these years later and really what are you yeah. studying well it's called it's, Inter- it's Enterprise Ireland that are sponsoring it so they're paying for half it uh, uh-huh. it's called Go Global for Growth and uh, what they do is they take three people out of every company, three of the senior people, and uh, it's a six-month course. And so far, we're finding that very beneficial. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing the secrets in the name there, Go Global for Growth. So this is teaching you how to, to spread yourself farther yeah. across the world. It, it, it is. And, um, you know, when we talk about ambition, it's it's an important part of, of a business innovation ambitious continuous growth as I say standing still is going backwards so the ultimate ambition is world domination domination in the steel shed business so go global for growth is essential world domination yeah, yeah, don't, 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 <laughs> don't set your sights too high whatever yeah, yeah, you do um, 
What do you think about that, actually, the likes of Enterprise Ireland kind of uh, investing in, in a company like yours, investing the time to, to sponsor you through that? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great support, I would imagine. It, it is, and, and I have to be honest, you know, we, we connected with Enterprise Ireland about two years ago, and I thought, you know, if they're given some money, we'll take it. Um, I now realise that it's, it's, yeah, it's great to get grants, but the knowledge they have is fantastic, and the support, it's very impressive. Um, you know, particularly we went into the UK and we made a lot of mistakes. And had we taken on the support of Enterprise Ireland, we might have avoided the mistakes. So uh, Enterprise Ireland is a fantastic organisation. Very happy with them. What um, you mentioned mistakes there going into the yeah, UK. You know, what happened? As, as I say, everyone makes mistakes in business um, and get them out of the way in your 20s is ideal. But unfortunately, we continue to, to go on and make mistakes. Um, so we, we, we follow the same model as we have in Ireland. So in Ireland, we have 16 showrooms where you have a large display of sheds, garages. So we opened eight in the UK, all in good locations beside garden centres. So what you do is you put in a display of sheds, garages, greenhouses, garden rooms, home offices, chalets, that kind of thing. And then you put in one or two salespeople in each yard, do a lot of marketing and hopefully it takes off. Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, it's a completely different way of doing things over there. So... Um, we didn't get the footfall and we wasted a lot of money advertising and um, when we now look back of course hindsight is twenty twenty vision when we look back we can see quite clearly where we made the mistakes equally though you can you can see where, where you assume that would work it seems like a pretty straightforward approach yeah, and and why I, didn't it work I, I, I'd said I wish I knew the mistakes I'd make before I start and we'd avoid them but we missed it and when I think about it it was obvious because if we go back here 20 years we sold both timber and steel sheds so people come in and it was 50% timber 50% steel now, 20 years later, it's 99% steel. So it has evolved. It's like an education process. And people learn that, you know what, this is a far superior product. It costs more money, but it's a lifetime investment. Whereas in the UK, when they hear of a steel shed, they think of the thing you can buy in the local hardware store. It's a cheap steel shed, very cheap. It's flimsy. It will fall apart eventually and there'll be condensation problems so they they associated all steel sheds with that so unfortunately when they've seen steel tech steel sheds they didn't even so the arts. so how have you uh, rectified that mistake we, we have as i say it was an expensive mistake uh, so of the eight yards five of them have closed uh three will remain open um what we're doing now is we're partnering with people on the ground existing guys over there who are selling timber sheds and they already have the footfall and the sales so we're partnering with them putting displays into several locations over there and they take on the sales so it's more of a partnership and that's working extremely well Hmm. so a lot of potential because it's a huge market so we got it right but we certainly didn't get it right day one and had we done more research we might have avoided that expensive mistake so when you're when you're at the top of a a self-made empire as you are yourself and and something like that goes wrong um who do you pick up the phone to to kind of vent or you know ask for advice or help i suppose i'm extremely fortunate i don't get stressed um, and my favourite phrase is the world's greatest opportunity comes in the disguise of an unsolvable problem. So <laughs> a problem is an opportunity. Sometimes you mightn't see it. Um, so we, at this stage, I'd say I know more about the shed business in the UK than anybody in the UK. So we just continue to do our research. It's a big statement, though, to say I don't get stressed. Nothing stresses you? Uh, very little. Very little. I'm, I'm very aware that we're only here for a short time. You know, so if if you think about it logically, like over millions of years, you're here for less than a hundred years. So it's a very short time, and the world will go on tomorrow, whether you're here or not. 
saw in the sun will get up tomorrow. So why would you be getting stressed over but small you, I mean, so hang on, you, you ventured into the UK. What was it? Eight showrooms. Yeah. And and that must have been, uh, how did that compare to your business in Ireland at that stage? I mean, that must have been a, 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 big, a big chunk step. of investment. Yeah, it was a, we, did, we did a million euros in turnover the first year. Um, I think our target was five million. And, you know, we, we thought we'd get up to 100 million fairly quickly. Um, so we didn't lose an awful lot we, we did lose it was just we got it wrong but the, the, the question I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get to I suppose is you know you, you pour all this money a big yeah. chunk of your business into a new market the UK yeah. uh, and with the assumption that things are going to go great yeah. like they did in Ireland and then you see the numbers not adding up in the way you'd expected them yeah. to you're telling me there wasn't even like you know a little pang of like Jesus what's happening here like or uh, there might have been a couple of times where uh, I said how did we how did we get into this you know but I certainly would not lie awake at night worrying about it. Because it'll all be right in the end? Yeah, I mean, business has gone extremely well here. So that's that's a good thing, you know, and, and we're in a very solid position now. So we could afford we could afford to, to take a gamble. And every time you go outside the country into a new market, it is a gamble. New products, you know, it's always, it's the nature of the entrepreneur. You have to keep trying and not everything is going to work. Okay. So listen, when you're not busy at work, which I would imagine is a lot of the time, but when you're enjoying yeah. yourself, what do you like to do to to, um, to, to vent and to well, let us I, I, I suppose I enjoy travel. I love getting away for the weekends. Um, it's always nice to get a few days of sunshine mm-hmm. especially going into the winter. I enjoy cars as well, so I have a couple of toys that I, I enjoy taking out. Toys? We're not talking about Toyota Corollas here, are we? No, no. well, I like, <laughs> I like vintage cars and I like... I suppose the Cannonball is coming up this weekend and there's a lot of supercars there so I have great interest in that kind of thing in Formula okay. 1 and What kind of toys do you have then? Uh, I'm not sure I should say Ah come on uh, Yeah my, my, one of the um, and in the more than business uh, some, some toys you should stay away from but I have a, a Marshall Lago a Lamborghini Marshall Lago and it's beautiful probably the most beautiful car ever built but also the most troublesome car ever built so um, it's, it's, it's nice and Italians Yeah I mean the, you gotta hand it to the Italians they got style and I've a few more vintage cars as well. So, mm. yeah. do you enjoy the ability to, to to splash out on toys like that? Yeah, I suppose you know a lot of people in business and entrepreneurship. The total focus is not money, but and it's, it, it just it's better if it isn't because sometimes it will go wrong. Um, but it helps. I mean, let's face it, money always makes life that bit easier. So it's nice if you don't have to think too hard about the next the next purchase. It's refreshing to have a bit of honesty like that, I suppose, that, you know, you are looking at the, hopefully the zeros building up in your bank account at the back of a number, as opposed to just just zeros altogether. The loans are building up at the same time as well as they continue to grow. But But you have to be passionate as well about, about what you're doing. I mean, do you find you become kind of, I suppose you're so involved and so invested in the company, you can't help but become passionate about the products that you have on the market? I think so, and I think you'll, you'll find that uh, in business of people, you have to have the passion. I mean, there's a couple of golden rules, I say, work ethic and creativity, but in any business, you must have a quality product and do our best to continuously improve the product and service, you know, and we don't always live up to it, but we, we try and, and try and give the best service. So if you say you're going to be there on a Thursday at 2 o'clock, you, you do your best and continuously do your best um, I haven't said the restaurant is probably the place where you'll really see a, a business or, or how well a business is run because, you know, how many times do you go into a restaurant and get the perfect food and the perfect service and the perfect atmosphere? To get everything perfect is not easy, hmm. but that is the challenge and it's, it's always a challenge and you, you can't drop the ball there at all. 
have there been any sacrifices you've had to make down through the years to to preserve that you know high quality service be it the, the product or being able to make that Thursday appointment at two is that part and parcel of, of, of business? Um, I think it is, really, yeah. I mean, you can only do your best, and sometimes you will get it wrong, you know. So if one gets it wrong, it's it's about trying to put it right and, and not have a dissatisfied customer, um, because that's, you know, one dissatisfied customer, and they're going to tell everybody. So you, things will go wrong. So when they do go wrong, acknowledging that and trying your best to put it right is, is all we can do. Hmm. Nobody gets it right all the time. How do you find the the right people who can kind of share in that attitude with you uh, to, you know, surround yourself by the, by the, by the right yeah. employees. Well, that's, that's definitely one of the secrets of, of uh, the successful entrepreneur. Um, some people might think the entrepreneurs are the smartest people in the room, and I can assure you they're not. Um, so the, the secret, of course, the secret is to surround yourself with people who are smarter than oneself. But it's not just about being smart. It's about being uh, you know, having a bit of integrity. Integrity is huge. So if you have people working for you that you can trust um, and people that are, are going to do their best, it's it's singly probably the most important thing is the people that, that, that you take on over the years. I've been extremely fortunate. I have great people around me and there'd be no steel tech without them for sure. Hmm. But um, there's, there's a book, it's called Good to Great Companies. I got a present of it a few years back. And one of the things it says is, is about getting the right people on the bus. Uh, don't waste your time trying to motivate people because if they're not the right people, you're not going to motivate them. You're only wasting your time. So try and get the right people from day one. Do they have to match your personality? No. And, and um, How could I, they? Yeah, well, <laughs> I suppose what I really like and I think a lot of entrepreneurs would agree is people who challenge us. The last thing we want is someone agreeing with us. Um, so I love it when people challenge me and you, for sure you will learn more from somebody that you disagree with on everything than someone you agree with so in the world in general I, I thrive in a different cultures and different ways of life there's so much to be learned and so much knowledge out there so I love when I'm challenged I really thrive on that so what's next for Steel Tech? Well, as I say, world domination is the, the that's ultimate goal. The goal. You know, so. that's, how are you going to get there, though? <laughs> well, you know, we, we might as well set the bar fairly high. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, we've recently gone into the German market. We have a partner over there, and he's a guy who he fits large steel buildings, and he came across us. He was on vacation in Ireland, and uh, we've sent a couple of containers over, and so far that's working out quite well. So that's in its infancy. You know, again, it's a different market. There are different people. And one of the unusual things about the Germans is they, they almost never ask about price. The only thing they want to know is quality. Quality, can we make it better? That's that's the only thing they want to know. Whereas, of course, most Irish people will tell how much is it, you know. So that's that's different. So continuing to, to break into new markets, I'd, I'd see that. And, and factories in other countries. Are there, are there lessons better. that you learned in your British foray that you're hoping to you know mistakes you're hoping to avoid in in, in yeah. getting into germany and maybe any other other markets you uh, might of course at. yeah that as i said that is the great thing about mistakes we will learn more from our mistakes than than anything else so everybody makes them and the, the key is to learn from them we do keep talking about sheds and it's in the name isn't it but as you were yeah. saying earlier you know it's not all sheds and uh, what's the proportion of, of of your business being kind of you know I'd, should I'd, we say yeah. utility storage versus I'd say 50% other interests or less is sheds really there's a lot the utility room is is another product that's fairly new and it, particularly in places like dublin where you have small houses with a small kitchen and there's a garden there we can have a utility room in there in less than half a day put your washing machine your dryer your fridge out there 
and fill the fridge with beer. So Christmas Day, everyone won't be going home early because you've no beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great product. They're selling extremely well in Dublin. The home office is something that's really taken off um, because a lot of people are working from home, and you know we see it with traffic and there's no need for it you can work from home and we, we did a costing on it and if you look at the cost of driving to work on average and mm. driving home and your sandwiches and your coffee and first of all you'll save I think it was in the region of 7,000 euros a year by working from home but the second thing is the hours if you calculate all the hours you spend traveling to and from work for the entire year you actually end up with another two weeks holidays so working from home is fantastic and it's something that's really growing you're talking earlier about giving advice in schools about entrepreneurship and stuff yeah. like that so w- what do you tell them kids I mean apart from the fact that you could have a great idea in one of your own sheds well I suppose the first thing you want to do is get their attention so I recently gave a talk to I think it was about 160 15 year olds in, in Galway so my first question is lads who here wants to be a millionaire so all the hands go up. So I said, well, statistically, two and a half percent of the population are millionaires. That means four of you will be millionaires. That's the good news, lads. Now, if you listen carefully today, we can bring that up to eight or ten. So I, I didn't go through the seven myths of entrepreneurship, the Ten Commandments and the seven deadly sins. And um, the, of course, the second question I asked them is, are they prepared to work seven days a week for several years with very little reward? So about half the hands went up. So there's <laughs> definitely hope. Yeah. So you go through the process and. Um, if they do all of those things they're in with a good chance what holds people back a lot of the time is a safe job and we talked about safe jobs and in my opinion a safe job is a terrible thing I remember I had a friend once I called him an an armchair entrepreneur because he had a he had a job at the local city council and he loved entrepreneurship but the safe job Hmm. it just held him back you know and then he one day he died and that was all over so (laughs) what opportunities he missed out on having such an exciting life you know are these the kind of stories that you share with your fellow uh, entrepreneur of the year kind of um, uh, partners and friends yeah oh look at for sure everyone has has a few stories and they're a great bunch of people um, I often say, you know, when I go out Friday night with family or friends, I don't want to talk about business because I'll quickly be left on my own because not everybody is as passionate about business as I am. But within the entrepreneurial world and the entrepreneur of the year, we, we exchange stories and, and opportunities all the time. So it's a great group to be involved in. Okay. So world domination being your ultimate goal. Um are you going to be the man who takes it there or will it be the next generation of, of Bretts? Look, it, it could well be the next generation. You know, I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist as well. Like, But we will continue to grow the company. And as I say, nobody ever started a small company. And so, as long as you get there, whether it's you or Brett Jr. Yeah, I mean, the, the, once the essentials, you know, are done, and for sure there'll be a few hurdles along the way. Um, but, you know, you focus on the quality of the product and the service and get your prices right and continue to expand and the opportunities are there for sure. Okay. Sean Brash, thank you very much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us today. All right. Thank you, Tag. Thanks for joining us today in the Architects of Business. Thanks to our guests, Sean Brett, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or future shows by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the Architects of Business on YouTube. While you're at it, check out some of Joe's other podcasts, including the GAA Hour, and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. I'm Ty Genreich. Thank you so much for being with us today, and I hope to see you again very soon. Bye-bye. 
The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. 